0: Hear ye hear ye word nerds, be forewarned, this podcast contains saucy language of the modern and early modern variety, so plan your listening accordingly, or don't, that's a choice you could make. Don't say we didn't warn you.
1: Wow. (sighs) We're here. It's our final episode (laughs) of the season. So much has happened.
0: Has so much happened? (laughs) Yes, so much has happened. Okay. You know, I guess I don't remember 10 minutes ago, so I'm not going to remember the last 6 months. That's
1: understandable. It's been an eventful time.
0: I'll take your word for it. Welcome to the Hurley Burley Shakespeare Show. We're your hosts Jess Hamlet and Aubrey Whitlock. And together we are Whamlet. And this week we are talking about Friar Bacon and Friar Bungay. Yeah. Whoop, whoop, whoop. Um Hooray. Yeah. So each week here on this podcast, we talk about a different play. Sometimes it's by Shakespeare. These days, more often than not, it's not by Shakespeare. (laughs) Uh, But this week, it's a 101 level episode. Aubrey Whitlock, what does that mean? That means
1: introductory stuff. All the things you need to know to have a general understanding of this very strange, silly, silly play. Um, And it's themes, which it arguably might have. uh, It might have themes, yeah. And some other cool stuff that you're going to get nowhere else, like our piping hot opinions. It's
0: got like like one theme. Like like at least half a theme.
1: Like people trying to get it. That's what I took from this play, is that everyone's trying to get it.
0: Yeah. And by get it, I mean have the sex. But also, some of them are emphatically not trying to get it.
1: They're trying to bang. Or not bang. To bang or not to bang. That's (laughs) the theme.
0: That is the theme. That's a good five-word title. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, If that's that's not already yours, you should steal it right now. Oh, Um, yeah.
1: It's not. It's not what I wrote down, but Amazing. we'll just make it a third one. To Amazing. bang or not to bang. Yeah. Okay.
0: Um, uh, but before we say literally anything else, uh, we, this season, have started talking about shit we like in a segment yeah. that we call Happy Hour um, that was originally intended to talk about, like, anti-racist pedagogy and shit like that. Uh, but now here we are at the end of the season has devolved into us recommending hot water bottles and sexy romance novels
1: <laughs> you know what sometimes you just got to talk about like the self care and the stuff that makes you feel good before it's you true. can go out and do the hard work it's true so like maybe next season we will bring back more more of the other stuff but right uh, now
0: yeah to be fair <laughs> to us i think we've done a really good job at i think at so all of all of yeah. that the the big social justice issues. Um, I think so. I yeah. think so too. But yeah, lately
1: you're right. It's been yeah. more like soft and cuddly things. Yeah, that make us feel nice. You know, as people like like puppies. <laughs> yeah, like puppies. And the fact that. Jess Hamlet is now <laughs> doctor, <laughs> doctor 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 <laughs> Hamlet. Hamlet, Hamlet, Hamlet. <laughs> How about this?
0: Lady? I mean, I think you, you mean did it, Doctor Lady. But yeah, Doctor Lady Hamlet. Me. Lady,
1: Lady Hamlet Doctor.
0: Yeah, I don't... I, <laughs> I passed my defense on Tuesday.
1: Damn right you did.
0: And the only revisions I had to do were fixing misnumbered chapters. So what? I filed my project with the grad school on Thursday um and then i returned all of the books to the library on oh saturday God, did you
1: have to take a wheelbarrow with you like, i had a
0: suitcase <laughs> like a little a little red wagon I, behind I had you a, i had a suitcase <laughs> a suitcase full of books oh man um it was very very heavy because it I was a that suitcase was cathartic full of books it's weird i like i have a, a completely empty bookshelf in my office now um yeah. So I'm I am well and truly done. I am. I am a doctor. I am uh, going to graduate. Uh,
1: so proud.
0: Thanks, babe. I it mean, feels... I have no right to be proud. I'm not your <laughs>
1: parent or anything. I didn't do anything. I'm just sitting here on the sidelines and I'm like, oh, um, my God, I know that
0: person. You're allowed to be proud. I like it when people are proud of me. Um, yeah, it it feels no different, frankly. Uh, (laughs) Wow. Okay. well, I mean, like I I was saying to some people um, earlier this week that it feels a lot like when I got married, like nothing really changed. Like we had a big party and there was some cake, I think. I think there was probably cake. I don't remember. It was a long time ago, but like we'd already been living together for a couple of years you know nothing nothing mm-hmm. really changed day to day except that like now we had a piece of paper um and i don't even have the piece of paper yet i got to wait until may for sure, the for, for the paper um but you know like i've been living with my dissertation for a couple of years and and now it's yeah it's just it's maybe I it'll feel different when you
1: finally get to wear that silly hat that you've God. been waiting for
0: I'm waiting on that silly real. hat. I I want yeah. that silly hat to show up, and I'm I'm gonna wear it.
1: Did you like immediately ask your students to start calling you Dr. Hamlet this week? I did. Yeah,
0: yeah. Started signing all of my emails, Dr. Jess Hamlet, PhD. Who's a doctor now? <laughs> Just FYI, having doctor and PhD is redundant. You only need one or the other. Right. Yeah. Um, but I'm allowed to be redundant. Because I'm a doctor now, absolutely. So I think that also means that we are Doctor Hamlet. I think. I oh, think do I, I get do us. I get
1: elevated on your coattails I now? I think.
0: I think. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I think as as our our podcast identity is a singular entity. Uh-huh. Sure. Uh, I think I think we can put the honorific. <laughs> so
1: yeah, our our portmanteau gets the honorific yeah, too. Yeah, I think I'm about that Doctor Hamlet. Yeah. I feel like we um, should change that on our Twitter handle then. Say, Doctor (laughs) Hamlet, the doctor is in. Banana. (gasps) Oh, hi,
0: Becky. Banana.
1: Yeah. So that's my happy hour, folks. That makes me so, so happy because I know how long you've worked. I know how much it's taken Mm. out of you. I know. Mm. I I just I've seen it. I've seen it happening, and I haven't even seen half of it because you're like fifteen hundred miles away from me. So like. I mean.
0: You know, 700, but sure. Or something. <laughs> I don't. Just, you I doubled don't. our distance, but like, did that's I? fine. Well, that's
1: how it feels. So.
0: <laughs> it does feel far. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, because it is you? far. Uh, yeah. Um, I like being a doctor, <laughs> I guess. I like having that's friends legit. who celebrate me. I like having really <laughs> smart students. I like having a stinky banana potato, Rebecca. I like having her. Mm -hmm. Also, it's her two-year gotchaversary this week. Oh, that's great. Mm -hmm. Becky. Yeah. So my happy hour is Becky. Yay. Who's going to go be a banana and yell at the birds?
1: I mean, somebody has to.
0: It's got to be her. It's got to be her.
1: Damn sky rats.
0: Somebody needs to yell at them. (laughs) Yeah. Um. Yeah, that's what I got. That's what I got this week. It's been, I haven't, yeah, I've I've been been doing things. So wait, you've been
1: kind of busy, I gather.
0: Well, it's all good. Apparently. (laughs) I don't actually remember doing much of anything ever. Mm -hmm. I swear Mm -hmm. to God, Aubrey, all I've done for the last two years is watch Netflix and bake. I don't remember mm-hmm. working on my dissertation. It must have happened, but I don't remember any of it.
1: That's real. That's real. So, yeah, I think even for those of us who weren't writing a dissertation this this last year, at least, if not mm-hmm. the last two years, has felt mm-hmm. compressed and also mm-hmm. elongated in a mm-hmm. weird, weird way. And it made us all question the notion of time. <laughs> what is time? What is it? I don't I think it's a socially Generated mm. construct. Yeah, so I think time is a flat circle. We just we just agree on it, and now I don't know where we go from there. Um. So we've <gasps> never correct me if I'm wrong. We have never talked about a Robert Greene play before.
0: Uh, we've never have talked we? I, about a Robert Greene play before. We have talked um, about Robert Greene. Um, yes, but
1: not about one of his plays. Before. No, he this only wrote for us.
0: He only wrote a, a handful, and they're right. Because he was kind of bad at it. Yeah. <laughs> they're not. So, they're all yeah. really important for the study of English drama, but they're not super great. <laughs>
1: important not because they're awesome, but because no. of the way they mark the period, I suppose. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, so,
1: yeah. So it's time that we meet the contemporary Robert Greene. This is your underwhelming life. <laughs> He was born in 1558 and died in 1592. He was educated at Cambridge and Oxford because he couldn't decide between the two, I guess. I don't know. Lots he of was people part of to both. Oh. Well, that's just greedy. Uh, Yes. (laughs) Um, He was part of a group of London writers without patrons referred to as the university wits because they were university educated and very good at what they did. Uh, This group of writers, which also included one Kit Marlowe, tended to look down on others who tried to write without a university education, like one... William Buckley Shakespeare.
0: Mm, yeah, so Shakespeare arrived in London uh, sometime between 1588 and 1591, and he had some quick success with his early plays. These are things that we know as as a podcast right. with Shakespeare in the name. <laughs> um, so because of Shakespeare's quick success, uh, Robert Greene had some... Extreme salt is how I mm-hmm. describe it to my students. Uh, and he published a pamphlet called Grotsworth of Wit, which I am sure that we have talked about before, but probably not since season one. So um, in Groatsworth of Wit, he said the following of Shakespeare. He says, quote, there is an upstart crow beautified with our feathers that with his tiger's heart wrapped in a player's hide supposes he is as well able to bombast out a blank verse as the best of you and being an absolute johannes factotum is in his own conceit the only shake scene in a country um that (laughs) fighting words uh it's it's an allusion to um to henry six where Mm. shakespeare calls margaret a tiger's Tiger's heart heart, wrapped in a woman's hide. yeah yeah um and uh johannes factotum is it's latin for jack of all trades it's an insult basically it means you Mm -hmm. know you you the, the phrase is, jack of all trades, master of none, right? So, right. Um, he's, he's he's being salty about yeah. Shakespeare. Someone's so.
1: a teensy-weensy bit jealous, maybe? A little bit. Um, probably there was some rivalry between the two writers, but Green died 24 years before Shakespeare did. Um, and clearly his work influenced Shakespeare for the rest of his career. So, like, yeah. uh, you know.
0: Yeah. So, like, we we did an episode on pandosto
1: we did that's right
0: one of our one of our winner's tale episodes the 201 or the 301 um mm-hmm. talked about pandosto i talked about pandosto at great length pandosto is the prose romance uh, that green wrote that is the source text for the winner's tale um mm-hmm. And this is mostly the kind of thing that, that Robert Greene wrote. He wrote a lot of prose romance, he, a lot of just, you know, a lot of essays. Uh, but he also wrote about a half a dozen plays. None of them are very great, uh, but they are they are important um, to the study of early modern English drama. So uh, aside from this one, he also wrote Orlando Furioso, a looking glass for London and England, the history of James the the comical history of Alphonsus, King of Aragon and Salimus. Um, and I think we talked about Salimus. I think that's a Queensmen play that we, we mm-hmm. did a, a rundown of earlier in the season sometime. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Orlando Furioso is notable mostly for its, inclusion of the stage direction enter orlando with a man's leg um <laughs> which is a very very good stage direction also that's one of the only surviving parts we have oh get out um, of my brain i was just gonna say yeah, that yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, a part of course is aubrey What's a part?
1: It's the individual cue script that an actor received because, as we've mentioned on this pod before, actors were not given full copies of an Mm -hmm. entire play. They were given Mm -hmm. only their role, hence Mm -hmm. the word role, because it was on a roll, like a scroll, Mm -hmm. given to them. And Ned Allen's Orlando Furioso role is one of the few surviving cue mm-hmm. scripts of the time
0: mm-hmm. and it's long also yeah it's, it's it's one of the only ones that we have it's i think it's also the longest one that we have yeah so i have read none of these plays except for Friar break and fryer Bunke. uh james the fourth is included in the new rutledge anthology of early modern drama the... oh, there's a
1: history play no one needed
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> sorry I, i'm not even sure i could tell you anything about like the actual james the fourth let alone that play exactly that's what i'm saying because james james the fourth are we talking about james the fourth of scotland i assume yeah 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 yeah. because
1: james the sixth of scotland was then james the first of england so this would be his grandfather
0: yeah he he's the guy that margaret tudor married
1: aha Oh, yes, yes, yes. Okay. James I remember five, that from the Tudors.
0: Yeah. James 5 <laughs> is Mary Queen of Scots's dad and James 6 is Mary Queen of Scots's son.
1: Yeah. Golly, yeah. I I can't <laughs> b- believe that that play was not a soaring box office yeah. smash.
0: Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I think there were like I think he had some some military prowess. But my literally my entire knowledge of James the Fourth of Scotland comes from the historical documentary, The Tudors, and also the other historical documentary, The Spanish Princess. Yep. So <laughs> yeah, um, that's that's what I got. Uh, that's Robert Green. He wrote some shit and was a salty bitch. He so sure we stan a legend.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, now it's time for our five word unhelpful title. I, apparently, I accidentally have given you one already, to bang or not to bang. But also, um, mine officially is Robert Greene's accidental twin play. But I'm not not convinced that the two friars are not the same guy. So that's my, mm, okay. that's my story okay. and I'm sticking I was, to it. I
0: was trying to work that out. Um, yeah, mine is never trust your sleepy servants.
1: I mean, never. Never. never trust them. Never. Everyone knows not to trust your sleepy also, servants. Also, like
0: spoiler alert we're we're about to give you a summary but like the thing that everybody knows about this play is the brazen head scene and that's like basically a fucking footnote to the play that is not what the play is about at all all right so we're gonna give you the dramatis personae but
1: only the really important ones this time it's 50 million characters it's It's not not, it's not 50 million that's me being hyperbolical like a dozen
0: (laughs) So who do we have? Okay, so we've got Ned, who's Prince Edward. He's next in line for the throne.
1: Mm -hmm. We've got Peggy, the keeper's daughter.
0: And then there's Rafe, who's the clown. He is Ned's pal. Rafe is always a clown. Doesn't matter what play
1: he's in. We've got Friar Bacon, a scholar. King Henry III of
0: England. Mm -hmm. We've got Lacey, the Earl of Lincoln. And the King of Castile. That's in Spain.
1: Mm-hmm. Eleanor of Castile, his daughter.
0: Miles, who's Bacon's servant. We also have Friar Bungay and Jacques Vandermast, a German magician.
1: <laughs> and we also have the keeper of Fressingfield, who's Peggy's dad.
0: Yeah, uh, and then finally we have Searlesby and Lambert and their sons. They are all country gentlemen.
1: All righty, so. yeah (laughs) why why Why? should this play
0: be popular i mean not even why should it be popular just why is this play (laughs) why is it why is this play i don't know it's it's silly
1: it's real silly yeah it's at times incomprehensibly silly yeah
0: but it's important people
1: like that yeah it's important
0: It's important because of the brazen head. It's important because of Robert green. It's important because of the, the 1580s, um, right? But I don't get this play, and lots of people that I really, really love and admire, really, really love and admire this play. Yeah, and I don't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at the 2019
1: Blackfriars conference, mm-hmm. that was in the before times for anybody that remembers 2019 mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. Um. We, in one of our staging sessions, some somebody, I forget who now, um, proposed that this show be one that we put on at the Blackfriars because we would be able to use a lot of the staging conditions that this play originally was written for. Um, Or was it? Or was it? Maybe we'll get to that. Mm -hmm. You sound like you've got a locked and loaded (laughs) Mm -hmm. wrench for that thing um -hmm. but but like yeah people were super into it and they they pitched it like oh you should do that here during a wren season or something it would be fun to like actually see it on stage and um because of this brazen head thing and this Mm -hmm. other weird stuff and these friars Mm -hmm. everywhere and like Mm -hmm. i just remember sitting (laughs) and watching that staging session being like this is this is pretty wild. I mean, I wouldn't mm-hmm. mind seeing it. I guess. Yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing for all it. of those reasons. Like, I'd I like to mind see it. Seeing a production of it. Yeah. I don't know if it needs a comeback. <laughs> like, I don't know if like the wider world needs to see it, but maybe they mm-hmm. do. I don't know.
0: Mm-hmm. Eh. Yeah. I mean, it's got all the right ingredients, right? It's got love. It's got weddings. It's got yeah silly country comedy. Yeah. It's got disguise. You know. And a brazen head. And a brazen head. <laughs> Just a casual <laughs> brazen head. Um, Just super cash. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, yeah, all right. let's uh, let's do it, shall we? Yeah. It's okay. summary time. All right. So so we are now going to summarize Fry Bacon and Fry Bungay for you in a segment that this week we're calling... Another damn cautionary tale for why you shouldn't pretend to give up your one true love in order to get them to prove how much they love you, because that's a fucking dick move.
1: Indeed. The fucking
0: goddamn love test. Get out. I hate it. It's so dumb. It never goes the way you want it to.
1: (laughs) Not (sighs) ever. Not ever. Yeah. Um, And we should say, too, there's uh, Mm -hmm. not act breaks here. So we're going to be... We've sectioned it into four little bits yep. just so that people know. Um, yeah, so we're not doing Act 1 through 5.
0: Depending on your edition, it's about 15 right. or 16 scenes, so yeah. it's yeah. a nice little, nice tight little play.
1: Yeah, alright, so. so
0: let's do this. Yeah. Take it uh, right. In the first bit,
1: Prince Ned is in love with Peggy, the Keeper's daughter. His companion's don't understand it since she's not a courtier. Rafe the fool comes up with a plan to help Ned win her. Ned will go to Friar Bacon and Rafe will disguise himself as Ned so that King Henry won't miss him at court. Because that'll work. <laughs> Ned leaves instructions in his absence that Lacey is supposed to talk him up to Peg and note her reaction. That's also a bad idea. Friar Bacon's (laughs) companions ask about his skills and his plans. To prove his skill, he conjures a tavern hostess from many miles away with a shoulder of mutton for their dinner. Lacey, disguised as a countryman asks Peggy about Ned who visited her once in disguise. She loves him, but decides to keep it to herself until the opportune moment. The King of Castile has brought his daughter Eleanor to the English court as a bride for Ned. Papa King Henry III welcomes them along with the emperor of Germany and a German delegation. The visitors ask after Ned who is at Oxford. Rather than recall him to court, they all decide to go meet him at Oxford since the Germans are particularly interested in seeing the schools and meeting the scholars.
0: In the second bit, Ned and Rafe arrive at Oxford disguised as each other, because obviously um, Mm -hmm. they run into Miles and Bacon and Rafe challenges Miles. Bacon bewitches them all so that they cannot draw their swords. But Ned punches him instead because the sword charm doesn't work on fists. Um, (laughs) Bacon tells Ned that he can see through his disguise and also knows his reason for coming and the task that he's left to Lacey but lacy is wooing peg for himself bum 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 uh ned says that if bacon will help him he will enlarge the college's estate so he's just gonna like give him a whole lot of money um in his study bacon shows ned a magic mirror that displays a scene between peggy lacy and friar bungay so Mm. in the magic mirror bungay tells peggy that the lincolnshire farmer's lad is actually earl lacey and her former suitor is prince ned peg says that ned was surely only pursuing her for lust but that she could actually love lacey lacey enters they converse and agree to marriage uh so in uh, this is all still happening in the magic mirror right as bungay prepares to marry them. Bacon hexes Bungay so that he cannot speak. Bacon then sends a devil to carry Bungay to Oxford. Ned confronts Lacey and Peg. Lacey confesses everything. Ned says that he will have Peg, or no one will, and so he's going to murder Lacey. Because... That makes sense. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, he's a prince. What are you going to do? Yeah. Lacey's like, yeah, fucking murder me, bitch. I'll take it. But then Peg is like, no, murder me as well. I can't live without him. Uh, And so Ned is like moved by their love for each other and lets them love each other in peace. Okay. Uh,
1: in the third bit, the German Vandermast and Bungay argue over who is more learned in the magic arts and use conjuring to prove it. Vandermast is a tr- is triumphant when Bungay cannot stop Vandermast's summoning of Hercules from disrupting Bungay's conjuring of a tree and a dragon. Bacon enters and takes the measure of the situation and then asks Vandermass to demonstrate his skill. Vandermass tells Hercules to resume his destruction of Bungay's tree, and Hercules refuses, citing Bacon's presence as enough to give him pause. Mm. King Henry is pleased. Bacon sends Hercules away and Vandermass with him back to Germany. He's like, get thee back to Germany. Bacon invites the rulers to dinner, but they are insulted by the simple fare. Suitors Searlesby and Lambert are in negotiations with the Keeper for Peg's hand in marriage. The Keeper says Peg must have the choice and fetches her. She entertains suits from both men and then asks for ten days' time to consider. She cunningly knows that by then, Lacey will have arrived to claim her. A messenger arrives from Lacey with a letter saying he's given her up and taken a Spanish lady as his wife. (sighs) And in recompense for her, for breaking her heart, he sends her a hundred pounds as her dowry. Okay. <laughs> she refuses it and decides to join an abbey. Bacon leaves Miles to watch for the waking of the brazen head while he sleeps. The head begins to speak and Miles wakes Bacon at a stroke of thunder and lightning. But it's too late though, because Bacon has missed his chance to harness the powers of the brazen head. Yep. Bacon dismisses and curses Miles for missing the proper cue. Arranging all the weddings, Lacey confesses to Castile that he loves Peg and not the Spanish lady. Everyone blesses this and tells them to dispatch at once and go claim his love and that he'll be married the same time as
0: Ned and Eleanor of Castile. Okay, so in the last bit, the the sons of Searlesby and Lambert come to Bacon to look in his magic mirror and see how their fathers are. In the mirror, they watch their fathers duel and slay each other, and then the sons turn on each other in revenge, because obviously. Bacon breaks his mirror and tells Bungay that he'll spend the rest of his days in prayer and service to God, giving up all his magic. Peggy's father pleads with her not to be so hasty in taking nuns' orders. As she is renouncing the world, Lacey and his friends enter. Lacey convinces Peg not to take the habit, and they go to... To have breakfast before departing to be wed a devil enters to seek miles and torment him for failing bacon in the matter of watching the brazen head miles recognizes the devil and inquires whether he miles might take up a post in hell as a tapster the devil agrees and they depart the double wedding is celebrated and bacon offers a prophecy of good fortune to come to england after a period of war the end <laughs> what yeah <laughs> Yeah. What? Yeah. This play is something. It's got so
1: many tropes in it. Just yeah. like tr- classic trope on trope on trope for it. Yeah. For comedy.
0: Yeah. This is some
1: silly shit.
0: Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> Just... So, Oh, also minor note for people Every once in a while At least in the edition I read Probably not the one you sent me, Jess I'm sure that's mm-hmm. been standardized But in the one that I read If you ever get a like, a hold of this text on your own Sometimes Peg is called Margaret Because mm-hmm. Peg and Peggy is a nickname mm-hmm, for Margaret mm-hmm, So mm-hmm. if you ever see Margaret in there That's who that is Yeah, yeah her person.
0: name is actually Margaret
1: Yeah, um, it's Margaret But Right but everybody yeah. calls her by her nickname. I am I am also impressed just generally with the use of nicknames throughout mm-hmm. this play. Like mm-hmm. Rafe just calls his prince Ned. Yep. Like, they're they're tight like that, I guess. Yep. And like it's interesting uh yeah. the flaunting of status with nicknames. Yeah. But before we get to any of that, mm-hmm. it's time for a taste of text. In which we will read to you a small but crucial scene from the play to give you a little bit of its flavor. And I mean, what scene is more iconic than the brazen head scene itself? That is what we will be reading to you today. Um, who would you like to
0: be? Sleepy little Miles or the brazen head itself, Jess? I, I, mean... I defer to you, Dr. <laughs> Hamlet. What do you want? I feel I feel like I feel like I have to be the head <laughs> who who speaks six words. Um but Excellent. also, you know, you're the better actor. You are the only actor. I am not an actor. So you, why don't you be Miles, and right. I'll be the head. All right. So for those
1: who maybe are following along at home, this is scene eleven. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is just a teeny tiny little chunk of scene eleven. Um, after young uh, Miles has fallen asleep, and no, also no, no. Bacon. Miles no. is awake. Miles is awake. Sorry, it says he falls asleep. Does that mean yeah. Bacon? Yeah, bacon, bacon, has bacon falls asleep Sorry, <laughs> I misread the stage direction Bacon yeah. has fallen asleep, Miles is wide awake Alrighty yeah. So, that's where we're at mm-hmm. He falls asleep So, I thought you would talk yourself Asleep anon And tis no marvel for Bungay on these days And he on the nights Have watched just these 10 and 50 days Now this is the night And tis my task and no more now, Jesus bless me! What a goodly head it is, and a nose! You talk of nose autem glorificare, but here is a nose that I warrant may be called nose autem populare for the people of the parish. That's some kind of Latin joke that I don't get.
0: Yeah, um, it's it's an overly ingenious and untranslatable Latin pun on the liturgical phrase <laughs> in line forty-four. Popa in Latin means parish priest, hence perhaps the parish in line 46. Oh, what? wow.
1: <laughs> wow. Some yeah. jokes just really don't stand the test they, of time. Okay. They don't. Well, I am furnished with weapons. Now, sir, I will set me down by a post, make it as good a watchman to wake me if I chance to slumber. I thought, Goodman Head, I would call you out of your memento. Passion of God, I have almost broke my pate. Up, Miles, to your task. Take your brown bill in your hand. Here's some of your master's hobgoblins abroad. Noise!
0: <laughs> There's a state direction that says, with a great noise, the head speaks.
1: Oh, I'm not seeing that in my edition. Yeah.
0: But, so I was cool. making a noise. Noise! It was a great noise. It was great. That noise. was a so good, good noise. And then the head says, Time is. Time
1: is? Why, Master Brazenhead, have you such a capital nose and answer you with syllables, time is? Is this all my master's cunning? To spend seven years' study about time is? Well, sir, maybe we shall have some better orations of it anon. Well, I'll watch you as narrowly as ever you were watched, and I'll play with you as the nightingale with the slow worm. I'll set a prick against my breast. (laughs) Now rest there, Miles. Lord, have mercy upon me. I have almost killed myself. Up, Miles. List how they rumble.
0: (sighs) Time was.
1: Well, Friar Bacon, you have spent your seven years' study well. That can make your head speak but two words at once. Time was. Yeah. "'Mary, time was when my master was a wise man, "'but that was before he began to make the brazen head. "'You shall lie while your arse ache "'and your head speak no better. "'Well, I will watch and walk up and down "'and be a peripatetician "'and a philosopher of Aristotle's stamp. "'What, a fresh noise? "'Take thy pistols in hand, Miles! Here the head
0: speaks, and a lightning flasheth forth, "'and a hand appears that breaketh down the head with a hammer.' time is past
1: now what i find interesting is that in the edition i'm looking at that mm-hmm. stage direction doesn't happen until after time is past mm. hmm. textual instability there mm-hmm. it is mm-hmm. always and forever Mm-hmm. fascinating
0: yeah
1: um and dun 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 that's as far as we're reading
0: Will you right. just read Miles' next line? Oh, sure, it's, sure, sure. It's good.
1: <laughs> master, master, up. Hell's broken loose. Your head speaks. And there's such a thunder and lightning that I warrant all Oxford is up in arms. Out of your bed and take a brown bill in your hand. The latter days come. Oh, no. Yep.
0: Poor Miles. It's not, though. <laughs> no, so. it's not. It's just yeah. a talking head. Just a talking head. Um, okay. Well, let's talk about some of this yeah i guess that that was lofty let's talk about some of this (laughs) so the first thing um that i discovered just mere moments ago is that in 1953 sir ian mckellen played peggy in his boys school production of this play in 1953 um where there's a picture of him Oh, as as a small boy,
1: my God, <laughs> yeah, look at him! In the,
0: isn't he cute? Isn't he so <gasps> so cute? If you scroll all the way down, you can see that picture. Oh my God!
1: Yeah, the full thing.
0: Isn't he cute? Baby face. Yeah. Oh my um, goodness! So we'll link you to that, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and it's got. I think it's got a, some of Sir Ian's uh, comments on the play itself. Oh my goodness um so and now i guess the boring-ish stuff uh so the play was probably written in 1589 it was printed for the first time in 1594 the action of the play takes place in the 13th century during the reign of king henry iii who reigned from 1216 to 1272 also bacon and bungay were real people (gasps) What? They they really existed. Uh, Roger Bacon was a philosopher and a Franciscan friar who lived from about 1220 to about 1292. Um, he enjoyed a popular reputation as a wizard. He was the first European to record the method for making gunpowder, and he wrote a lot of alchemical texts. Um, mm. Thomas Bungay was a scholar and Franciscan friar who lived from about 1214 to about 1294. Uh, thanks in part to this play, he's mostly remembered as Bacon's sidekick, But there is no real evidence that the two men had any kind of relationship, like at all. Um, (laughs) He is certainly the lesser studied of the two men. His Wikipedia page is so fucking short um, and Bacon's is super long. And his entry in the Oxford Dictionary of National Biography is three fucking paragraphs while Bacon's is several pages. So hashtag justice for Bungay. Yeah. or what the yeah right (laughs) what what the fuck is a brazen head is the question Mm. on everybody's lips i know yeah uh so it's a it's a mechanical it's a mechanical head it's a mechanical masculine head that's made of brass or bronze with possible magical powers what um okay the The idea was that it was supposed to be able to answer any question asked of it, but like maybe sometimes that was restricted to straight yes or no questions. Um, <laughs> it's kind of like an oracle, I guess. Um, by the 17th century, so by by about the time this play was written. Um, brazen heads were considered to be a misunderstanding of early alchemical work um and then at least one modern scholar thinks that they're just a symbol for the hubris of medieval intellectuals Hmm. so what's a brazen head well it's not a thing is the thing like it's not a thing (laughs) but if it were a thing it's a magic thing
1: it's just a bronze bust yeah that maybe has magical powers which it totally doesn't yeah Great.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah. Uh, And so then here's here's the other the other fun thing that I'm kind of stepping on your toes a little bit. Um, But first of all, Aubrey, what is a discovery space?
1: The discovery space is the traditional curtained middle entrance in an early modern playing space. So if you look Mm -hmm. at pictures of the Globe or pictures of the Blackfriars Playhouse Mm -hmm. or any other stage that has sort of a Mm three-door setup with a stage left and a discovery space and a stage right, the discovery space is the nice, big, open, curtained space in the middle that you could pull the curtains back, and it's a little bit of extra playing space underneath the above Mm -hmm. uh, as well. So that's that. And people were literally discovered behind it by Mm -hmm. moving the curtains back, Mm -hmm. which is why it's called discovery space.
0: Yeah, so fun thing, um, discovery spaces, like, maybe didn't actually exist. (laughs) Um, What? Yeah, so they, they for sure, archaeologists know for a motherfucking fact that the curtain and the theater did not have discovery spaces. Full stop. Mm. Not a thing. Um, this play was performed at the Rose, and we don't know if the Rose had a discovery space, um... Also, tour venues would not have had discovery spaces, right? Because they're playing in, like, manor halls. And sure Rebecca. <laughs> Rebecca <laughs> is like, yeah, manor halls. Um, you know, and, like, guild taverns and things. Sure. So, keeping in mind, then, that the, the London performance space for this play may not have had A discovery space and the places that this play was played on tour certainly did not have discovery spaces how the fuck do we stage parts of this play that would really benefit from having a discovery space like the magic Mm -hmm. mirror bit and you know maybe the brazen head bit um how how excellent (laughs) question Mm. (laughs) how Mm. even yeah like
1: even on tour i mean i don't you know this is asking off the top of my head without doing any research but Mm -hmm. like they didn't take with them. There's no mm-hmm. evidence that no. we know of, that they didn't take with them. I mean, like some posts and a curtain to go between. So they would have some kind of a backstage area. Like um,
0: anything like that? I, I don't think so. I want to okay. say I am not a theater historian. Yeah. Um, this is not this is not my area of expertise I'd love to find out now. But I think I think mostly what they brought with them were costumes and like movable props, not sure. not set pieces. <laughs> right um sure so so I shout out to um friend and benefactor Elizabeth Tavares who was having this conversation with me this weekend it just it doesn't it doesn't make sense for for a tour space right um she she says that like you know think about they'd have they'd have two doors for like food service right and one door you'd always go in and the other door you'd always go out so that people weren't yeah bumping into each other with giant trays of food um and and she says it's like it's the same thing for the tutor stage. Like if you have a different play every afternoon, there's no time to learn blocking. So right. you have to rely on those pre-established habits of like the stage right door is for going in and the stage yeah. right there, the stage left door is for going out. And like that's just always the way it is. It's Cause if you added a third space in the middle, it screws up everything and also couldn't then be replicated on tour because you don't have that third space right. so it makes yeah. it makes so much sense but i'd never really sat down to think about it but you know with, yeah. with archaeologists telling us like we know that these spaces did not have discovery spaces yeah um, but then later ones did
1: so it was later a development that happened yeah. later right because we know that the mm-hmm. Blackfriars did right Do we? so like i think so
0: i thought we like we have we have a best guess on what the Blackfriars may have looked like, but it's yeah. just that one drawing of yeah, whatever I thought from a Discovery whoever. Space
1: was part of that.
0: It is, but I don't, I don't think that's enough to assume that it was there, right? It's like it's like a textual transmission situation.
1: Sure. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, I wonder if because the theater was a James Burbage that was he owned that, right? And then he went and bought the Blackfriars space mm-hmm. with his sons, right? So that's mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if that's an improvement he made if indeed he did make it but like playwrights did eventually start writing plays for the spaces yeah for those spaces right mm-hmm. and for those features mm-hmm. right and people being discovered so I, yeah I'd be interested yeah. to know because I don't I'm just
0: talking out of my butt Yeah, <laughs> um, <there laughs> what is... very little knowledge I have if you're interested if this has if this has sparked like I must know more um, Leslie Thompson wrote a book uh just a couple of years ago um 2018 Hmm. from cambridge university press it is called discoveries on the early modern stage um and it it takes up this question of Hmm. like when did the discovery space happen well or
1: yeah it's it's
0: so so mostly it's like it's about the, the kinds of discoveries that happen on the early modern stage, like mm. a, an identity discovery, or oh, sure, you know, it's like it's. But she's she has a, a conclusion appendix situation that's called was there a central opening in the Tyrine House wall, um, that mm-hmm. that takes up this this question of like did d- did is a discovery space a thing like did that actually exist there's 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 a lot of good in in that little appendix yeah. anyway <laughs> yeah no, well, i'm I mean, not just gonna read it out but yeah and anyway. it's
1: still an interesting staging question mm-hmm. now yes. Yes. because yeah. right how like do we... not how do you do it now you know right theater spaces i mean proscenium houses
0: don't have them right
1: exactly yeah proscenium houses don't have the whole fucking thing is a discovery space with a curtain in front of it right (laughs) (laughs) like it's an enlarged discovery space Mm -hmm. um or like black boxes don't have them black boxes don't have shit so like how around yeah how how would you do that how would you do that really in any space um that wasn't a a a space with a built-in discovery space and even Mm -hmm. so You wouldn't necessarily have to use the discovery space if your theater Mm -hmm. space had Mm -hmm. one, right? So how would you do that? Um, I mean, there's lots of bells and whistles that you can do now in a lot Mm -hmm. of modern theaters. You can project things. You can do some lighting fun stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, There's all kinds of ways that you can do it, but it's definitely a staging challenge that happens multiple times in this Mm -hmm. play Mm -hmm. um, with these magic mirror, this magic mirror nonsense (laughs) (laughs) happens a lot. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I wonder if you wouldn't just want to like designate a corner in your theater, like on your stage, like this is the magic corner and that's Mm going to be that. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah. Then that was one of my questions is like, how the fuck are you going to do that? Yeah. Um, there's other staging challenges like a fucking dragon um, and a tree. You just, you got to conjure a dragon and you got to conjure a tree. Hercules is a little easier because like that could be an actor. <laughs> but like, <laughs> like how, how are you going to conjure that shit? You know, like have fun with that. Um, some other stuff that I noticed is like, well, I mean the talking head thing too. Like how the fuck are you going to do that? Like this is either, it's either a challenge for your props department Right. Or Mm -hmm. it's a or it's a sleight of hand, you know, actual actor looking like a disembodied head, Mm -hmm. Um, which I would argue is maybe more fun, but Mm -hmm. probably less comfortable for the actor having to do that, depending on how you hide the rest of their body. Yeah. <laughs> like magician style. <laughs> right? Like like how are you gonna do that thing and you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. keep everybody comfortable and make it work mm-hmm. and make it look interesting. Yeah. Um, so I mean, yeah, this is um a play that is full of weird staging challenges, just big buck baskets everywhere.
0: Yeah.
1: Um also, I mean, the thing that I just kept thinking about was that wouldn't it be hysterical if Friar Bacon and Friar Bungay were actually the same dude? But then I um, and I was interrogating that in my head. I was like, but wait, they actually do talk to each other at some point. So, like, they they do can't, you know, you can't have that joke for too long. But I'm also just not not convinced that they're not the same guy. I don't know. Mm. You might like they're not. I know. I know. I know they're not. I know they're not. But like, it would be a choice. I don't know how it would work, um, how it would look, how it would turn out. But it would be a choice. To, like, have them dressed exactly the same, like, lean, really lean into the twinning. Yeah, they're both Franciscan friars. They're both
0: scholars. So they're probably dressed pretty similar anyway.
1: Right, right. But I I feel like this is one of those times where you could actually lean into the, like, identicalness of your casting, maybe. Mm. I don't know. And just see how it plays. Because I've never seen this play played. So, like, Mm -hmm. I don't know if that joke Mm -hmm. would work visually. Mm -hmm. But it interests me to see if it might um also textually dumb rhymes happen sporadically in this play <laughs> sorry green i know you thought you were a great poet and whatever but i think your rhymes are whack so <laughs> so just like watch out for that it's not you know it's not Marlowe's mighty line that's for damn sure um also it begs the question with all of the tropes just oh my gosh all of the romantic tropes in this play it made me wonder did Shakespeare steal the whole lacy wooing Peggy thing for his Suffolk and Margaret stuff in the Henry Sixes maybe um you know the the guy he's like sent as an emissary to woo for somebody else but then when he gets there he's like "Ooh, she's so hot I want her for myself you know that part of it they they look like parallel tropes to me
0: I'm not sure that time holds up against that but my dating on the Henry VI plays are not great yeah you're right so um, that's true they were kind
1: of concurrent weren't they yeah yeah, they were very very
0: one right on top of the other well then maybe Um,
1: Green stole it from Shakespeare who knows
0: also I think it's just I think it's just a trope
1: that's true I mean it's never a good idea to send someone else to woo for you right don't Just like don't do every, it. Every <laughs> everyone who's been through seventh grade knows that. Like, don't yeah. fucking do that. <laughs> yeah. Don't bad, do it. Bad idea. That is dumb. Yeah. Um, and that's what I got production right. wise. Those are the questions bubbling up inside yeah. me for this yeah. play.
0: Well, then let's what gossip and get the fuck out mm-hmm. of here. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. So some some stuff, some stuff happened this week some
1: stuff happened this week um one thing that Jess and I were like fangirlishly <laughs> excited about was the very
0: i'm um, no i'm f- first we're cool. thing we're so cool we're <laughs> we're, we're, we're cool. cooler than cool um we're cool chat. it's like whatever
1: <laughs> literally 12 hours and i mean 12 hours from yeah. when our american more episode came out you know yeah. cuz i comes out early in the morning um we got an email from one Keith Hamilton Cobb who had yeah. seen the tweet and then listened to the episode. Yeah. Um, I think it was the director of his show. I think she Kim Wild, I think is her name Wild. Anyway, I saw the tweet. She was the one who tagged him in the tweet and was like, "Hey, Keith Hamilton Cobb, look, look at your work." Um, yeah. So he uh, he emailed us, and yeah. like. And he and liked like, it. He liked it. He liked and, it. And and he helped us um figure out why Jess's and my editions of his play oh, looked yeah. different. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Textual instability. And like I kid you not, you I ca- I saw the e- I saw the email first, and I called Jess immediately, <laughs> and I was like, Oh my God, are you sitting down? <laughs> <laughs> yeah but um yeah we just like screamed for a full like 10 minutes we did screamed about it. We, we were did. very excited about it yeah Ugh. it was it was it very was exciting
0: the last thing after a very long day and it was <laughs> right before I had to sit down and like really do my defense prep because I defended the next yeah. morning and <laughs> right, I just yeah, that's couldn't right. I couldn't handle it I didn't I did not have <laughs> the uh the mental bandwidth to, to process it. Um, and then while I was defending Keith Hamilton Cobb slid into my DMS on Twitter to be like, Hey, I emailed you guys. And I was like, yeah. it was the first thing I saw when I finished defending. And it was just like, yep, we're going to respond to you real life. Promise. Yeah. It's like we, so. we see you, man. We, we yeah. do. We're, we yeah. will get back to
1: you. We definitely yeah. want to work with you. Really. Oh. It's really exciting. It was very exciting. It was really exciting. It was super, super fucking exciting. Yeah. Oh, um, okay. Something not as exciting, but something that I feel like I can't not mention, um, right. is we have that to mention if, it. yeah, if, if folks, you know, you, if you've been listening to this show for a while, you know where I work, mm-hmm. um, and that's the American Shakespeare Center, mm-hmm. um, and you might have seen in the Washington Post and in the New York Times mm-hmm. um, a a long piece about how our artistic director, our most recent artistic director, director Ethan McSweeney, has since left the company. Mm-hmm. And the circumstances therein are um, things that I can't talk about um, mm-hmm. based on the, you know, legalities and, and stuff of his departure. So mm-hmm. I can't really say a whole lot about that, but the fact that it did happen and Mm -hmm. that um, those of us in the company left behind are trying something that I think, if it works, will be very, very exciting, um, which is a Mm non-hierarchical company model, and we'll see how that goes um we've been getting a lot of flack for that i've noticed like on the socials and stuff people being like what the actors that's the insane people taking over the asylum and it's really not like it's only like some people are really tripping about that and it's like well first of all theaters have been doing that for centuries time Yeah, directors (laughs) are a victorian invention yep um so like get over yourselves Um, But also we're aiming for something slightly more collaborative than that, than just handing over all artistic control to four or five actors. Like that's not where we're headed. But I will say that if you would like to read things that I can't talk about, but that are a little less sanitized than the Washington Post and New York Times, I would direct you to Lauren Halverson's blog, Nothing for the Group, or maybe some former members of the American Shakespeare Center who are far and wide everywhere. Or the American Theater Magazine article that just came out on March 4th, if you want to know about that. You know, what Lauren Halverson does in particular that I appreciate is that she places what has happened at my company in the context of a lot of other departures that have been happening in the last couple of years Mm -hmm. of artistic directors from big regional theaters. Mm -hmm. Uh, And she points out a lot of the patterns Mm -hmm. and similarities between those things. Yeah. She does Um, a nice close reading. She does. Yes, she does. She's a smart lady. And that is that, Mm -hmm. I guess, Mm -hmm. (laughs) because for legal reasons, that's all I can do. Be kind to those of us left behind.
0: I guess is what I'm saying.
1: Sure, because um, we're we're trying.
0: Okay. Um, well, in other news, uh, this week the brand new Cambridge Companion to Shakespeare and Race came out, edited by the great Iona Thompson, and it's affordable. It is under thirty dollars, y'all. What you can buy this book. Um, it looks so good. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I am dying to get my hands on it. Um, it's, I, it's just, it is a who's fucking who of people who are awesome writing on Shakespeare mm-hmm. and and race. Um, oh damn! Yeah, yeah. Look at all those y- names. Yeah, right. Like just, just a, just a Ooh. nice little roll call. Right. We've got Ayana, obviously, um, Ombreen Databoy, Patricia Kimi uh let's see who else dennis Britton, arthur little mm-hmm. uh noemi and day did i say joyce green mcdonald already because if i didn't I think so i'm but i'll say her again because she's amazing miles greer like it, the the list goes on it's mm-hmm. it's it's a, it's a it's good it's good Um, So like, so some, some of the, the chapter titles, um, the first one by Ayanna is did the concept of race exist for Shakespeare and his contemporaries? Question mark. So we, that's a great opening shot there. Um, We have racist humor in Shakespearean comedy. We have uh, flesh and blood, which is um, on race and religion in the merchant of Venice. Um, We've got a chapter was sexuality racialized for Shakespeare. (laughs) um the tempest and early modern conceptions of race shakespeare race and oh, globalization man. how to think like ira aldridge what is the history of actors of color performing in shakespeare in the uk um actresses of color and shakespearean performance are shakespeare's plays racially progressive it just it goes on it goes on Damn. it goes on it goes on like get this book if you are at all interested in any of these things you you need to get this book yeah. right? And I'm just, I'm so thrilled that it's affordable. Yeah. And I don't know, I don't know what kinds of fights had to take place to make that happen. But like, thank you to whoever fought those fights probably Ayana oh. um yeah. to make that happen books and anthologies like this can
1: run upwards of 50 bucks someday. I mean 50 to 150 oh depending, yeah right? yeah yeah
0: so like most, so much money they could and be this is this is coming from Cambridge University Press um and everything that I've gotten from Cambridge in the last several years has been a hundred dollars
1: yeah so yeah. so to have this be under 30 is pretty great yeah 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 that's incredible.
0: That's really super. Um, okay, so I know, I know that apparently I've been teasing this for the last several uh, episodes, <laughs> but the the webinar um, with Joyce Green McDonald and Reginald Wilburn that my program is hosting um, at the end of March is uh, it is now available to register. You can register. Huzzah! Um, so. <laughs> You can go to tinyurl.com slash StrodePCRS. That's Strode like Hudson Strode. And then PCRS like Pre-Modern Critical Race Studies. Um, sure. And you can register there. And you'll get a, a f- handy little email that says, hey, thanks for registering. Right You're on. awesome. And if you have questions, contact us, Hamlet. Or something. I think it says something like that. Um, So that you should do that. Uh, It it is free, um, but spots are limited. We can only host up to 100. So you should register is what you should do. You should register Mm
1: -hmm. right now. Um, And
0: then I just want to shout out uh, Josh Reed at Eastern Tennessee State University, um, who is a listener and has been in touch uh, with me about some things, but also just saw on Twitter that I had defended and so sent me an email to be like, hey, congratulations. And that was cool. That was really cool. Thanks, Josh. (laughs) Um, That's so nice. Yeah, it was cool. Um, Yeah, so that's what we got. Thank you
1: so much, everybody, for listening. We hope you leave the podcast more informed than when you started. Yeah,
0: um, this is it. See you next season. Um, we will we will be back. We we have planned a fifth season. Um, we have. We've got some great plays lined up and some great guests lined up. Uh, we're not 100% sure when we will be back. I, it'll be the fall, um, but probably, yeah. like, we don't know, September, October, somewhere in there. Um, right. It depends on... How the rest of uh, the spring and summer goes, and what yes. kinds of personal transitions we have in our lives. Um, but we're we're coming, we're coming back for you, and it's oh, that first episode's going to be a banger. It's going
1: to be real good. Um, gonna and gonna also, really, really we good. apologize for teasing like a oh, yeah. capital B, <laughs> capital B, capital A, very big announcement. Yeah and then not delivering on that, right. but that is because of things and life being what they are, Yeah, we are not able at this time yeah. to make that announcement, although we do anticipate that we will be able to make it in season five.
0: Yes. So. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> uh, circumstances. Sorry to tease you. Outside our control, we thought things would move faster than they did, but also it's a fucking pandemic, so um, deal with it. <laughs> yeah uh, also I bet that everybody had forgotten about that no one's been oh, like, shit. hey y'all when when are you gonna talk about the surprise that you were talking about um, whoops but no I think it's fine that we acknowledge it so at least you know that we didn't forget that we had teased a big announcement but yeah um
1: just have to wait till
0: season yeah. five I guess <laughs> this will keep you coming back yeah um, we, <laughs> we're just gonna we, keep teasing yeah. we may also like we don't we don't want to promise anything we can't deliver but we we have talked about doing some like one-off midsummer episodes um, again this is dependent on the season of transition <laughs> schedules and
1: things and yes life yeah. and stuff
0: um, but we all of that yeah. to say is that like we we love all of you out there in listener land and we're thinking about you, and uh, yeah. we're excited to keep doing this again, some yeah. more. <laughs>
1: Have a great spring and summer, and yeah. we'll see you on the flip side.
0: Get vaccinated, wash your hands, I was just be safe. Say that, get
1: out of my brain.
0: <laughs> Never, I like it in Get here. your vaccine. Do it, wash your hands. Right. Okay, whamlet out, y'all. Wham the Hurley
1: Burley Shakespeare Show is produced and edited by Aubrey Whitlock and Jess Hamlet. If you enjoyed our podcast, please tell your friends, rate us, leave a review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you get your podcasts.
0: For show notes and other stuff, you can visit our website at www.hurlyburlyshakespeareshow.com. You can get in touch with us by emailing holla,
1: H-O-L-L-A, at hurlyburly show.com
0: you can also find us at HurleyBurleyShakes shakes on instagram or at HurleyBurleyShake. No S on Twitter. I acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land from which I record, the Muskegee Creek Nation, and pay my respect to their elders past and present.
1: I acknowledge the traditional custodians of this land currently referred to as Stanton, Virginia, the Monacan and Menahoic Nations, and pay my respect to their elders past and present.
0: All opinions you heard are strictly our own and not affiliated with the institutions we represent. <laughs>
1: you on really opened board. Pandora's box with this yeah, one. Right. All right.
0: Rebecca. Okay. Rebecca. Winsweet girl.
1: I've All also right. decided that your couple name with your cat is definitely Jebecca. <laughs> checks out.